Hi everybody, welcome back to Cancer to Marathon. I have a very special guest with me today. This is my much better half, Callie Turner. Um, and uh, I wanted to bring her on today because um, a little while ago I promised y'all a video uh, talking a little bit about uh, caregivers and their role not only in the treatment process and, and helping uh, with everything that they do during that time, but also um, since then, which for me has been about six years. And um, also talking a little bit about the impact that this whole experience has had on uh, my wife as a caregiver. Um, we'll talk to some other family members of mine as well that were directly involved in that as well. Um, and then also maybe you can give us a little bit of insight uh, on our next guest too, which is gonna Do be that. our daughter, Emma. And we'll talk a little bit about um, the impact that the experience had on right. her, but we can kind of get um, you know a little bit of information maybe going into that yeah. uh, from Callie. So um, without further ado, you know, I during my treatment, I was strapped to a hospital bed most of the time. Yes. Uh, not not literally strapped. I was might in a hospital bed. Well might as well have been. And then I was at home and um, and you know not not doing a whole lot. Um, you were having a lot of communication, not only with my doctors directly, but also with my dad, who was uh, the one that spent the yeah. nights with me up at the hospital. And then you were having to work full time as well. So. Yes. Just, I'm going to open up the floor. Just okay. tell us what you think would be good for people to know. Um, well, I guess I'll start with kind of what my life was like during that time period. Um, we were so lucky, and I don't know how we would have survived without having all four of our parents nearby. Um, our daughter, as he mentioned, she was four, just turned four right before all of this happened. Um, she, I'm a teacher. And she was going to pre-K at my elementary school. Um, so how our days looked is we woke up in the morning. I got ready for school. I got our four-year-old ready. We got out the door, got to school super early. I worked my job as a teacher. Um, the end of the day, my parents would pick up our daughter from school and watch her for the afternoon. And I would go straight from school to the hospital. Um, given the type of cancer Matt had, that the chemo's directly, you know, the whole point was to knock out his immune system because that's where the problem was. Um, so I would bring a change of clothes because I work with Jeremy, small children. Um, I would get to the hospital, I'd go into one of the public restroom areas, I would completely change clothes, wash all of my body that I could wash, and then put a gown and slippers on top of that a lot of days um, before I'd get in to go see him to prevent getting him sick just because of my job. And of course, that was one of the reasons Emma couldn't come up as right. well. They didn't allow she, children on mm -hmm. the um, cancer floor. Occasionally, they would make an exception on like a Saturday or something where she hadn't been in school. I'd been able to bathe her head to toe. She wasn't covered you know, anything except for stuff from our house. Um, they would every now and then make an exception to allow her to come up to see him. But most of the time, when the two of them got to be around each other, it was either when he was home or via Skype. Um, so after school, I'd go up and I would spend a few hours up at the hospital and his mom was with him during the day. So she and I would kind of exchange information that she had heard during the day, um, any communication I may have had with the doctors via cell phone while I was at work, whatever the case may be, we would communicate and kind of pass off what we could. I'd go in, um, and most of the time I was in there, we would just sit. Um, he liked the room dark. He had lots of headaches. Noises bothered him. And so there wasn't a whole lot of interaction necessarily. Um, 
but you know, I'd go up to the TRs until his dad would come up to spend the night, and then I would pass along information again to him. Um, a lot of times, his parents communicated during that time I was at the hospital as well, and so we would make sure all that was getting passed along so that um, my father-in-law could be there at night. And, and I think that communication was pretty important also, um, just because <laughs> chemo brain is a real thing. Yes. And, and, uh, and so as I was going through the therapy, and particularly mm-hmm. as, as heavy of a chemotherapy as they gave me, um, you know, I wasn't always fully in tune with what was going on. Yeah. And so it was nice to have you know, you guys to be able to communicate with each other. Um, and then also, um, you know, if anything should have happened, which, which thankfully it didn't, that would have put me in a real emergency situation. You know, you guys were my power of attorneys and would have been able to have made those decisions. Um, that was, you know, part of the reason for me that communication was so important was as his wife per all the paper we had set up years before any of this had happened. Um, I was the one responsible for making any decisions, um, but I wasn't the one that was there. And so I wasn't there to talk to the doctors. Most of the time the doctors rounded, it was one of my in-laws that was there. And so I felt, you know, that communication for me from them to me was vital so that if something were to have happened in the middle of the night and I received a phone call and had to make a decision, I had all the information I needed. Um, so once my father-in-law got up there, Matt was ready to go to bed typically at that point. Um, I would leave. I'd pick up dinner on my way home. I'd go get Emma from my parents, get her to the house, bathe, and in bed, and I would collapse. <laughs> um, no, that at that point it was cleaning the house and doing the laundry and meal prepping for the next day and all of those things. Um, and I know something that we've talked about since then was there were times when during those few hours I was up there, Matt felt like I was kind of disconnected. Um, Reality was, I was just thinking of the 10 million other things, you know, I mean, any moms and wives out there that are listening to this, y'all know the things that we do all the time every day, Um, and that I was spending my weekends all day, Saturday and Sunday up at the hospital, because that's the only time I really got with him, Um, you know, working full-time, spending my afternoons at the hospital, so that time at night was the only time I had to get anything done. So I was just trying to kind of mentally prioritize, okay, when I get home, you know, I'm in this room, he doesn't really want to talk, it's dark, and so I'm trying to figure out how can I be the most efficient with my time to get all of that other stuff that happens in life that has to get done no matter cancer or not, how do I make all of that still happen? Um, And so just trying to keep all of those parts of our lives that are always going and, you know, they don't care that he's stuck in the hospital. Um, laundry still has to get done. Um, house still has to get clean. Our kids still needs to be fed. So, and we, and we had to have an income too. And, and, yeah. and yeah, and leaving my job wasn't an option. I was the sole income and yeah. the insurance provider to, in order to make sure that we didn't drown in medical bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, trying to keep all of that afloat um, and making sure that, you know, all the bills got paid, all of that. You know, Matt a lot of times took care of the actual paying of the bills, but I had to get everything from the house to him. Yeah, he gave me something um, to do in the hospital, in all honesty. I, I offered to take all yeah. of that over, and he was like, no, I want to keep doing that. Yeah. Just bring me the stuff. So I just had to, you know, checking the mail, all of those things, the little stuff you don't think about every day, all of a sudden becomes... A lot bigger deal because you just don't have time to do it and so um 
you know, I felt like I was pulled in a bunch of different directions that I wanted to do the best job I could as a teacher for my kids. Um, I was a special education teacher. I worked with a lot of kids with a lot of emotional disabilities, um, you know, that it was an emotionally taxing job in and of itself, um, still is. I'm still in a very similar position today. Um, and I love it. I can't imagine not being around my kids, but um, trying to maintain my emotional regulation in order to teach them how to stay emotionally regulated was really hard during that time period. Um, you know, they would be screaming, you know, about that they didn't get apple juice at breakfast, they wanted orange juice or whatever, and I'm sitting there going, my husband might be dying. Can we not get upset about the apple juice and orange juice? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, I would have been much more sympathetic about it. So trying to maintain the ability to keep those relationships and do what I needed to as a teacher. Um, be there for my four-year-old who is trying to process all of this that I'm struggling to process as an adult at four. Um, communicate with her teachers on, hey, we had a rough night last night. Matt was too tired to Skype, and it really kind of threw her into a loop. Um, you know, when he was home, she was what we called my assistant. Um, Matt had a pick line in that we had to flush and clean and do all these things. And she would put on little gloves and she would take the caps off of um, the heparin and the saline, hand them to me so I could flush the line for him. Um, because if we didn't involve her, it stressed her out even more. <laughs> um, so she wanted to be part of the process, but at four there's only so much you can do and so much she can understand. So trying to find that balancing act to help her um, and being there for him and the communication piece. So I pretty much 24 hours a day felt like I was failing everybody because you can't do it all. And, and you really didn't have, I mean, you had the support system in your parents and my parents. Uh, they sort of helped me out, but not anybody that was directly right. no. taking care of you. No. And that's mm -hmm. just it. Is caregivers don't get taken care of. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And as a caregiver, you don't want to ask to be taken care of because you're so busy taking care. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking to any caregivers that might be out there, find somebody to take care of yeah. you. Yeah. Um, because there were days I wasn't good for anybody. I wasn't. I was a complete wreck, and I couldn't take care of anybody because I wasn't being taken care of. Um, and that is, that and being able to ask for help. Those are the things that I learned, is that it is not selfish to take care of yourself, and it is not weak or a burden for others to ask for help. Um, and that was hard for me to learn. If you know me... My husband will attest to this. I am a very independent person. Yes. I like to do things myself. Yeah. Um, we were fixing a problem with my cell phone, and Matt was like, oh, I can take that care of that for you. I'm like, no, just tell me what to do. I want to do it myself. Yeah. And he rolls his eyes and goes, of course you do. Um, so that was really hard for me to learn, was how to ask for help and how to accept help that was offered and to let others take care of me and to take care of myself, even though I felt like, my priority needed to be taking care of everybody else. Um, yeah. do, do you feel like at that point in time, Kelly, and, and I know it was something that we talked about and you really encouraged me at that point in time to look at, you know, particularly um, with Emma, you know, mm. bringing in a therapist to kind of yes. work with her. Would it have been beneficial for both of you to yes. have been attending a therapist at that yes. point in time? Yes, 
Yes. And and aren't those sometimes provided by the hospitals? A lot of times they are. There are also a lot of, um, I've learned since, um, a lot of private organizations. Um, there are some in particular that focus just on kids who have parents with cancer. I wish I would have known that. Yeah. Um, the... A lot of the social workers within the hospital that did come and did talk to us, especially early on, um, they gave us books <laughs> um, that I could use with Emma. She had one she carried with her at school every day, and it was a book where it had, like, it was almost a binder. You could take pages in and out as to what pertained to what was going on with the parent with cancer's life at that point in time. Um, and so I was constantly flipping out pages in the book so that it, and she did, it was like a security blanket yeah. for her. She carried it with her everywhere. And she'd I, ask her teachers to read it to her at school. That was about the best resource that we had, yes. wasn't it? it? And that was the only resource mm-hmm. I felt like we had. Yeah. Um, and so, in as much as work as I do with kids with behavioral issues, you know, I'd get home at night and my kid wouldn't go to bed. And as a behaviorist, I know she is freaking out. She needs mommy. She needs stability. She misses daddy. And I did not have the emotional capacity to help her at that point because I wasn't getting help myself. Um, and so I think for both of us, it would have been huge. Um, that both of us, you know, I've, I've always been one that has dealt with anxiety my whole life. Um, and I think she probably would have to some extent too, but it is probably much more pronounced now. Um, and that's something that six and a half years later, she and I both still struggle with on a regular basis, that little things, um, Matt had a cold a couple weeks ago. She had a really rough day at school that day and I could have called it before we left the house. Yeah. Um, she's thinking about, is it a cold? Is it not a cold? Daddy's not doing his normal stuff. He wasn't awake. What's going on? Like, um, and now at 10, almost 11, you know, in her head, she knows it's just a cold. Um, but she can't quite get past that. But what if it's not? Right. What if it's not a cold? Been there before. Um, and so I do. I think that that would have been a great resource um, for, for us at that point in time. You know, we've learned a lot since then and come in a long way since where we were at that point in many aspects of our lives. Um, But (coughs) I do wonder if that wouldn't have alleviated a lot, or at least some of, you know, our daughter's emotional outbursts and things that we dealt with in the years following. And we did, we did have some, some good support from the church that we were attending that time as well. Um, but that was really the only kind of support aside from you that Um, she was, I, through our church, we were in contact with actually a former coworker of Matt's who also had a different type of cancer a few years before that. And they didn't have kids at the time, but his wife was the sole caregiver and also a teacher at the time. Um, and our daughters were in choir together um, at church during all of this. And while the girls were in choir, we would sit and talk. And that hour on Sundays helped me keep my sanity at whatever sanity I actually had at that point. It helped um, just to know that, okay, this whole me feeling crazy thing, it's not crazy. Um, other people have felt this way. And then after everything finished and we moved to Marble Falls, a few years later we actually encountered another family who had a child at the same age that she is now, um, so seven, eight at the time. 
um, who was going through cancer treatments and the parents were traveling in. So being able to pass along what I learned to that wife and mother um, actually helped me, you know, as well to kind of process through everything I had been through, Mm -hmm. being able to pass along that information to somebody else. Um, And so I think that's part of us doing this too is to say, hey, you're not alone. And feeling like, the whole world rests on your shoulders as a caregiver. Um, you know, fortunately, going through cancer in your late 20s, early 30s with small children at home is not the norm. And I'm grateful that that is not the norm. Um, but when you do that, when it is not the norm, you feel like nobody understands and that you've got nobody to talk to. Um, and so please don't feel that way. What? That, yeah. What would you what would you advise caregivers to ask of their patients that they're taking care of, um, you know, in this process? Because, yeah. you know, they always, and by they, I mean the doctors, the nurses, the, um, the, what's that? They say take care yeah, of they, you. Yeah, they say don't worry about yeah. anything else other than worrying about you getting better, right? Right. And, and you're at kind of a limited capacity either due to lack of nutrition or the <laughs> chemo brain. Or both. Uh, or both. And you see these people kind of periodically throughout the day and you wonder why they're not 100% focused on on you when you're up there and you forget about all this other stuff that's still going on while you're focusing on trying to live. And so it's it's really an an odd situation for the patient in that I think it really needs to be dependent on the caregiver to bring to the patient's attention that hey, here's what we have going on as outside. a family, yeah. which is still still the as much as you don't. The world is still turning outside of this hospital. It does room. not stop, and there's nobody uh, that pays the bills for you. No. I mean, you get social security payments after a while, which helps but, a little bit, but. Um, um, I I think just just that right. of you know for the patients to remember that your caregivers have to take care of themselves too, and the world hasn't stopped turning, and they've probably taken on all of their normal stuff plus a lot of your normal stuff, plus all of this. Um, and that they want you to just focus on recovering. But give a little patience, give a little grace, understand that they are probably under more stress than you have ever been in in your life. Um, it is a totally different kind of stress to feel like that person you love could be gone tomorrow. And how do you explain that to your little kid? You know? Um, and so just listening to that. Um, and, and you've already touched on it a little bit, Callie, but um, anything else that you wanted to bring up, um, you know, since my treatment ended six years ago, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's been a gradual progression mm-hmm. with me kind of getting my cognitive function yes. fully back from the chemo brain. She would argue that it's still not fully back. Oh, it's not. Uh, but she probably would have argued that before the cancer also. Um, we're not where we were before but, cancer. But it, will you just talk a little bit about what um, that process has looked like yeah. and, and what that kind of, um, yeah, I mean, things that you've learned during that time. So Matt finished treatment um, beginning of February of 2014. In May of 2014, he was offered a job here in Marble Falls, um, which meant moving our family an hour and a half from where we had been, an hour and a half from our parents, who we we had relied so much on. Um, They were able to offer me a job as well, so in August we moved, and right before we moved, um, because we were both going to be teachers in the same district, we attended a new higher orientation together. 
you're a teacher, you've ever started a new job, you've been through a new hiring orientation, you know that they throw everything at you in two and a half days. Yeah. Like, everything they think you're going to remember for the year. Um, it's a lot of information for anybody. If you are functioning at about 25% of where you were before. Oh, better than 25%. I don't know at that point in time that you are. Maybe 50. I'd buy 50. Maybe 50. Um, you're not going to remember any of it. And so I learned that I had to take detailed notes to hand to him, to take to work with him. Um, and so that caregiving part didn't go away just because treatment ended. Um, things around the house of just little things that I was used to him just taking care of. He didn't really remember anymore. Yeah. Um, and Or conversations. Oh, hey, honey, I'm going to do this on Saturday. And then two days later, wait, why, why are you leaving? Yeah. Um, meeting new people, remembering names. Um, he was always the person that remembered everybody's names. I had to learn how to do that. It, it took me a really long time just to get back into what you would typically consider a normal daily routine. I would yeah. I would forget I would forget to do things like taking a shower or brush my teeth in the yeah. morning, just because when I was in the hospital, depending on how I was feeling, those things may or may not right. have happened. And so you do you get you totally get out of so the, just helping establish yeah. those routines again. Um, so that caregiving part didn't go away. And some of those conversation pieces where I we will have a conversation. He's like, we didn't ever have that. Yes, we did. Um, you didn't tell me that. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, that still happens. Yeah, reminding me where I left things. Yes. Uh, that's, that's, that's still every um, once in a while. Knowing his schedule and our daughter's schedule and my schedule and how all of that fits together and who needs to be where when and how do we coordinate driving this part and that part, especially when we first moved here and we only had one car, all of that. Um, was a little trickier. Um, now that we've got two cars, it's a little bit easier, but just making sure that I know how all of those pieces fit together because I know nobody else is going to think about that. Well, and I think it, it helps. Um, we've always, well, I say we've always, we, we before I got cancer, mm -hmm. um, we had a, a Google calendar that was our Turner family calendar, but we've really kind of ramped that up a notch. Yeah. Um, and so it's a shared calendar between the two of us that we check mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm supposed to pick up our daughter, it's there. on there and it's blocked off. And, um, and I have access I to his business calendar as yeah. well for that exact same reason. Exactly. So it's blocked off on my um, business calendar and I don't schedule an appointment right. during that time. Yeah. Or so, you know, if I know I need him during this time, I can block that off on his business calendar because just telling him probably isn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things have become more the norm now. And honestly, I don't even think about that kind of stuff anymore. That's just what I do. And I forget that I didn't do that before. Mm -hmm. um, and so it becomes a little more the norm, but you forget that it wasn't always. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and so that's, the caregiving part doesn't just go away. Um, as much as he may want me to not care as much as I do sometimes. The good, the good news is, <laughs> uh, the good news is now at least I'm able to take care of you and take care of our daughter yes. a little bit more than obviously what I was capable yes. of back then. And, yes. um, and so, yeah, I think we're, we're mostly back to normal six, six years after. Close to normal as I think we may ever get. Yeah. This family is um, probably not normal, you know, yeah. but I think most families probably feel that way. Um, so, so just to summarize everything that we've talked about today, um, what are, what are just a couple quick tips that you have 
um, for caregivers uh, while their patients are still in treatment, mm-hmm. and then a couple quick tips right. that you have to give right. for after treatment and just bullet points. that During treatment, take care of yourself. Ask for help and accept help. Um, and remind your spouse, patient, whoever you may be caring for, that not necessarily that you know you've got a lot on your plate because they've got a lot on their plate too but to remember the things that you've got going on um that the world is still going and you're having to take care of everything outside of that hospital room um and patients try to keep that in mind and give some grace and leeway and that their brains may be on overload too. It's it's not a movie or a TV show <laughs> no. where everything just shuts down. No, or there's no cares Real in the world other than happens. the people. Yeah, it absolutely does. You still have a you still have your tantruming preschooler at home that just wants a hug from mom and mom's not there. Yeah, like these things are going on, and when you're in the hospital room all the time, you don't know, you don't care, and that's okay that you don't care. No, like that's there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes, hey, why aren't you here with me more? When you're here with me, you seem distracted. Well, yeah, I am. Can can I ask? Can I ask one other thing? And this, you know, this can be a touchy topic, but I think yeah. it's important that we that we talk about it, and, and mm-hmm. it kind of goes into the tips during treatment. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you mentioned earlier you were a caregiver as well as two other mm-hmm. people who happen to be my parents who mm-hmm. have a vested interest in me, Absolutely. also, right? And and just like any family, when there is something severe like that going yeah. on. You're not always going to see eye to eye on things no. as you communicate, things of that nature. What What are some tips that you would give to caregiver groups like that as far as, um, you know, not only the communication piece, but mm-hmm. also just, you know, keeping keeping it on the level, making sure yeah. that everybody is coexisting well and that there's, there's peace and it's not an additional stressor on any of them or the patient? Um, we didn't always do that very well. No. No, we didn't. Um... I think remembering what everyone's role is and everyone having, knowing what their role is. Um, for me, it was, yes, I'm still mom and I'm still a teacher and I may not be at the hospital all the time, but if an emergency happened, I need all the information. And so that when my in-laws were there, I think, you know, knowing that that was my role, I think the communication piece becomes easier because they start to say, oh... If I don't communicate with her, I'm putting Matt at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where that communication piece really comes in. Um, and same thing, like I said before, just realizing what everybody has on their plates. That, you know, my in-laws were taking turns at the hospital, never seeing each other. Um, and I think sometimes I forgot that. You know, I went, they're retired. They can hang out up there all day. It's fine. Well, but they put their lives on hold, and we're having to take care of all that other stuff the rest of the time, too, and never seeing each other either. Um, when we saw each other, it was the only time they got to see each other. And I think I forgot that a lot of times, that I was so busy in my world with all the things I had to go on. So I think that same piece of just remembering the world outside of what your focus is. Um and then communication, communication, communication. The more information everybody has and the faster they have it, the better. Lots of text messages. Lots of text messages. If that doctor comes in, I know I'm at work. Text me anyway. Yeah. If there's any, you know, even the doctor comes in and says, things are the same as yesterday, please text me. 
Um, and so I think that's the biggest piece when it comes to multiple caregivers um, is just everyone understanding that no one is under more stress than anyone else. Um, it's not about that. It's about everyone knowing how their role fits in the big picture and that you're all in it to help that one person. And so the more that you can communicate and keep that in mind, the better off it's going to be. And, and so uh, real quickly in summary, the post-treatment tips for caregivers post-treatment. Um, it doesn't end just when treatment ends. You are still going to be a caregiver for decades to come. <laughs> Um, we are six years out and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. We still um, argue how, how much she's, mm-hmm. you know, she, if that is really necessary. I will tell you that, that I feel like I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent back. She will probably disagree with that. There but, are days you are. Yeah. But it's not every day. Right. Um, and so, and then just chemo brain's a real thing. Yeah. It affects their, your mind. It affects your body. It affects all parts of you and so knowing that that's going to take that person that you love is never going to be the same person they were before no matter what they say i agree with that um spiritually mentally emotionally physically they're a totally different person and so um learning who that new person is and what do they need from you um while slowly slowly being a very key word here, um, reintroducing the idea that caregiving goes both ways. Um, it took me a while before I let him take care of me again because I felt like, nope, that's not your job. It's my job to take care of you. And it takes time before, it took time before he was ready to be a caregiver for me again. And so slowly allowing that transition to happen. Anything else? Uh, nothing else that I can think of. Um, we are we are as always here to be a resource for you. So if you have any questions after watching yes. this video, or you want to share this with somebody that might be going through something similar, we would uh, very much like to be there for them. Yes. I know we're we're strangers, but we we definitely would love to to get to know you and help you in any way we can. That's why we started this mm-hmm. channel. Um, we'd like to hear your story also, of course, if you um, and your caregiver have gone through a similar situation or maybe something completely different and maybe you had a different experience than what we did, yeah. um, you know, definitely record a video like this and share it with us and we'll put it on the channel and that way that way people can, we yeah. can learn, we can create a library of, of information basically that people can pull from for best practices during uh, during times like these. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Cancer to Marathon at gmail.com is our email address um, or you can post something in the comments and uh, we'll get back with you as soon as possible and uh, help you in any way we can. And while I'm not on here all the time, if there are any caregiver questions out there, um, you know, that I'm always alerted when stuff like that comes through. And so I'd be happy to answer as well. Absolutely. And then we'll look forward to seeing Emma next time. Yes. Yeah. She's got a totally different version of the story to tell. Yeah. You can imagine what a four-year-old thought about all this going on. So. Uh, uh, it'll it'll be fun to see that but thank you guys all for tuning in and uh, we will look forward to seeing you next time Bye. bye